Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright. I'm your oyster, baby. You're my pearl. William. What is it, Tom? Robert's here. What? Robert says to your left. Robert England. Hi, Robert. Hello, hello. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, I don't know you, gentlemen. You know, when, when you invited me, I, I I had this fantasy of being flown to New Zealand and be oh, sitting in the Shire, you know. Yeah. Or, uh, even worst case scenario, a first class flight to, to Glasgow and some comfy pub uh, designed by Rennie McIntosh that Billy knew about. but and Instead, instead of that, I'm out here in the valley and it's yeah. 100 degrees. We Oops. didn't even give you a parking spot. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll do the New Zealand trip at some point in the future. Exactly. I yeah. mean, we couldn't believe it when you said yes, Robert. Mm. So oh, it's well. lovely to have you in the studio. Thank well, you very much. We're hoping maybe to have this particular episode slot in with Halloween, which we were just talking about off, off My camera. My holiday. Is it your favourite holiday of the year? It you is. must I... be very popular at parties, Rob. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a lucrative holiday for me, <laughs> I must say. I always get good invitations. But it is. It's fun because I think, I, I think Dom, you were saying, it's like Americans are truly exhibitionists. They really are. And that's their time of year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because where we grew up in Britain, it's very much uh, for the kids. The kids dress up. When I, when I was young in Scotland, you'd have to learn a song or a joke, and then you went round everyone's house, you know, trying to get candy or money, but you'd have to do the song that you learn. Trick or treat. Trick mm -hmm. or treat, yes, yeah. And you yeah. would be brought into people's houses and you'd sing the song and they'd give you some candy and off you go to the next house. I remember we would try to go to the, to the rich neighborhoods ah. because the, the treats were better. Sure. You know, you'd get candied apples, you know, and, and really great massive chocolate bars and things. You know. So uh, did you grow up in Los Angeles? Yeah, I'm actually a, a valley boy. Uh, uh. Yeah, to Pega Canyon for a while and Laurel Lovely. Canyon and, and Encino. Yeah, right around. I, right near your studio, mm -hmm. I had a seventh grade girlfriend that broke my heart right down the street, uh. literally on the same street in front of your studio here. Did you think about that as you drove up? I did. I know it's, 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 the nostalgia is incredible around here for me. I do a lot of voiceovers uh, in oh, this yeah. neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm out here, I just remember some great birthday party where somebody taught me how to French kiss or something. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And so in your, in your lifetime, have you noticed Halloween become a, a bigger and bigger thing? Because certainly in Britain, it went from, like Billy said, a kind of a kid's thing to mm -hmm. a lot of people are, recognizing it as a legit holiday now but when i was a kid it was not really that much of a thing well yeah. you you have guy fox day right you do, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah you didn't have that suppose yeah. it's been replaced by halloween but though. i was surprised when i first came here how big halloween is oh no it's huge and i would I, say the biggest i would say mm -hmm. maybe 20 25 years ago i mean you guys we, we've all dealt with with effects makeup before mm -hmm. and i remember going to a party i was invited the hardest party to get into in LA was the special effects makeup man mm. special invitation party and these guys had spent all year perfecting 
uh, makeups to wear and try to outdo each other at their wow. Halloween party. Wow. It was incredible. And I think Kevin Yeager, who did me for a number of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, he went as a like a cobra head. Wow. He was like was like a cobra coming out of human clothing, a humanoid cobra. It was just an incredible makeup. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. When I was at uh, drama school, we had to we had to do one one hour a week of makeup, and you know you'd learn how to become an old man or whatever. And then at the end of the year, you had to make up your own one. And one of the guys in my class who had a, a real cleft chin, he he made his nose a, a, a penis. And he made his chin a pair of balls, Dom. Lovely. If you could imagine. Yeah, I can actually. He shaved his beard into a... a and it was quite an incredible makeup. Great. Dick face yeah. takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. But that's, I've been lucky enough to share some great dinners and stuff with you over the years, oh, Robert, yeah. in many different countries. and I've been so lucky. And I've always thought of you as that sort of... Like, I didn't know that you grew up in LA, but you... You are, if you don't mind me saying, like an like old Hollywood. You know the names of everyone. You've got great stories about everyone. So it felt to me that you grew up here, and and like, was your family involved in in film? Somewhat. You know, I, I'm at that age now. I'm 76. I'm going to be 76. Well, you look fantastic. You look fantastic, Robert. Well, but I I straddle a little bit uh, that old Hollywood because it was still around. When right, I was a yeah. child, I think we lived down the street for a while from Clark Gable, oh, and wow. I used to see him at the at the local market, <gasps> really? you know, in the back by the butcher, and uh, uh, I, there was a theater literally down the street from one of my homes, and they had the what they used to call the major studio previews there, mm -hmm. the preview audiences, and my mother and father it would be like on a Tuesday evening or something, and they'd drag little Robbie along with them, and it would be the premiere of King Solomon's Mines or Anatomy of a Murder with Jimmy Great. Stewart, and they were there wow. in the audience sometimes, wow. you know. I remember seeing The Guns of Navarone, yeah. you know, and I, and you know, my generation, World War II was still close enough mm. in our in, in our father's memory mm -hmm. uh that as as young boys you know we were preoccupied with with the war movies uh, mm -hmm. of the time of of world war ii and i remember sitting there and the famous american comedian don knotts from the andy griffith show was sitting behind us and and, and i had loved him because he'd been a one of the uh, comedy players on the old Steve Allen show, which was the famous late night talk show at the mm -hmm. time. And on the screen, all through the guns of Navarone, it, it has that military time to let you know if the clock is ticking oh, and as yeah, the action yeah, progresses. Yeah. And it would say, you know, 1400 or, or oh, oh, 1300 or something like that for one o'clock in the morning. And Don Knotts' wife would go, Don, excuse me, Don, what, what time is it now? <laughs> And, and Don Knotts, you know, would p p p politely explain to her, you know, this is now it's one o'clock, you know, 13 is one past 12. It's one, one o'clock now. And she goes, ah. and then you'd be later, you know, with Anthony Quinn and Irene Pappas and James Darren and this wonderful movie and the Nazis and, and everybody's engrossed. And it would say, you know, oh, 1700 on the screen. And Anthony Quinn was in jeopardy. And you'd hear, Don, 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 what time is it? now and this went on halfway through the movie and 
And finally, my mother turned around and she went, it's five o'clock, Mrs. Knotts. <laughs> you know, Mom, those kind of experiences all the time. I remember surfing and seeing Lee Marvin on the beach as I walked into the water, mm. you know, because out in Malibu and things like that. So it just was a, naturally around you yeah. uh, here in Southern California. At that so time. was it, <clears throat> excuse me, was it being swept up? In and around those, you know, moments of, of seeing major movie stars and going and seeing screenings where they might attend, was that the spark for you to be an actor? Or what was the thing that got you excited to want to be an actor? I don't think that was, was it. I mean, I'd love, we, we'd all love to say we're in it for the art only. Sure. And that, that it was art that, that captured our spirits. And at some point, that does become part of, uh, of our quest and our existence as an actor but i was very young when i began and uh i was farmed out with a a beautiful young girl who wanted to be an actress to a, a teenage uh children's theater and i was at the ver the youngest end of it i was 12 and i think it went to 18 mm. or 19 and i thought i was going to be uh, uh sweeping the stage and painting scenery and maybe being an usher with a flashlight, a torch, you know, walking about and telling mm -hmm. people where to sit. But I did go to the auditions and I aced it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was Pinocchio. I was Peter Pan. I was Hansel. You know, I got all the Aladdin, you know, and I was 12 years old and I was very small for my age that I hadn't hit my growth spurt. And I got that power of having the lead role right, in that yeah. world and getting them laugh in the right place every night, night after night, that challenge and how exhilarating that is. It's kind of like being a rock star. Mm -hmm. And then the girls and the girls sure. were 12 to 19 mm -hmm. and they were beautiful and they were older and they taught me how to blow <laughs> sm smoke rings. And I have this memory of being in the girls bathroom, getting my hair curled for Aladdin. My hair had been dyed black, and I had these little curlers in my hair, right. and the girls were teaching me how to blow smoke rings, and they were all in, by today's standards, really covered them up a lot, but they had put glitter all over their brassieres. They were the harem girls, right. were Aladdin, yeah, okay. mm -hmm. and they were putting more and more glitter on the brassieres and getting my hair to go curly so I'd look like Aladdin. And I think West Side Story was playing on the record player. There was a portable record player in there. And uh, it echoed around, and the girls were singing songs from West Side Story. And <laughs> smoke rings and cigarettes and boobs in my ears, you know, with <laughs> glitter on them. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what? And give up show business? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is I, loved it. I loved it, and I was hooked. Yeah, you know? I remember getting mild hassle from some of the guys that I used to kick the ball around with after school where we would normally go and play football. And they said, what, you're going to do rehearsals for the school play? Why are you doing that? And I was like, it's a bunch of girls. It's like me, three yeah. guys, yeah. and like 35 girls. Yes. And I love hanging out with girls. And I get an opportunity to speak to much older girls because now – we're all in the same and play. the best girls. Yeah. These, yeah. These, the crazy actresses. You know? <laughs> but, but, you know, it's true. I was a jock. I was a, a champion swimmer mm -hmm. and a gymnast, and I played Little League Baseball. But I remember in high school going to one of the jock parties, and it was like 30 to 1, guys versus girls in yeah. terms of the mm -hmm. ratio. Yeah. And all the guys were drunk on a keg of beer. Yeah. And then yeah. I went to the drama party, 
and there was literally like a guy tending bar and a girl topless you know lying down with her back up on the on the floating mattress in the pool at night mm-hmm. with the lights on mm-hmm. and cool jazz playing mm-hmm. and it was like 30 to 1 girls to the to, to ratio to men yeah. and i was like this makes much more sense. Yes. <laughs> much, much more pleasing. Yes. yes. <laughs> if a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound? Yes, it probably does. Mm-hmm. But if 27,000 trees fall in a forest, would you rethink what you're using for toilet paper? I would hope so. Every day, 27,000 trees are cut down just to make conventional toilet paper. That's almost 10 million trees a year just to make something that you use once and then you flush it down the toilet. Yeah, that's terrible. But that is where real paper comes in. Real makes a sustainable toilet paper that contains no trees and instead uses 100% bamboo. Bamboo is an awesome sustainable option. It's both strong and soft. And because it's a grass, bamboo can be continually harvested without damaging the planet itself. And while the other conventional papers are wrapped in plastic in the grocery aisle, Real Paper's packaging is plastic-free, compostable, and offers free shipping on all orders. Now, if you're going to use something that is, you know, in the bathroom area, you may as well use something that you feel a little less guilty about when you just get rid of it in one go. Down the toilet it goes, Dom. Real Paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purchases on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping in 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com onion and sign up for their subscription using the code onion at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash onion and enter the code onion to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. So let's start flushing our forest and try Reel's tree-free paper. Reel is paper for the planet. When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. Somebody isn't showing up when they're supposed to. You need to talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR autopilot, you'll Automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and, of course, feedback. It can be tricky at times if you want to fire someone, right? Mm. Maybe you don't want to be in the middle of that situation. You need someone from the outside taking care of it. That's why. That could be Bambi right there. That's why you need Bambi. HR managers can cost 80 grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now and type in Onion under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com, Bambi.com. Type in Onion. I'll go to Bambi when I want to cite you. Oh. Am I right in saying that you studied in London? Well, I was there for a, a split second because of the draft. Uh, I was accepted at the Royal Academy, but... 
when the dra- the draft wouldn't let me stay there because uh-huh. uh, it wasn't a draft deferrable uh, university oh, no. thing. So I, I I I came back, but here's the great happy accident: the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art had a huge fission fissure uh, uh, between the old school uh, tutors uh-huh. and Principal John Fernald and the sort of Peter Brook new modern right. touchy feely approach and the old school faculty came to America and they found this uh, city outside of Detroit that had a huge arts uh, uh, budget and they had a a, a theater on the campus of this major university, beautiful theater. And in fact, all of the English actors lived at the Matilda Matilda Dodge, as in Dodge Cars Estate, Mm -hmm. had the largest indoor riding rink in the world. Mm And uh, screening rooms with tile around the fireplace with images of the guests, Charlie Chaplin, you know, and everyone yeah. in, in, built into the tile. And that's where the that's where the Brits all lived, mm-hmm. you know, and then they performed in this wonderful theater. And I was asked to become part of that company mm-hmm. uh, because I had, you know, auditioned for Rada. So I finished my my Rada training there. And then at night, you know, every evening I'd go over and I would be an understudy and I would be on the scenery crew or the property crew. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just it, it just turned out to be even better than I expected. And, and where was that? Outside this was just outside of Detroit. What uh, was it called? Meadowbrook Theater. Meadowbrook. Yeah, it's still there. It's a right. wonderful theater. Michigan, right? You're a Michigan enthusiast. Bruce. I'm a Michigan Well, I worked at Summerstock in the Upper Peninsula, and I went to Chicago a lot. I worked in Chicago and mm. Atlanta mm. and regional theater all over there. Mm. Uh, and we worked with a lot of great actors from Stratford, Ontario, which back then, this is the late 60s, was probably the best theater in North America. Right. Pro- yeah. It, it, easily on a par with... Uh, uh, Ellis Rabb's uh, American Repertory Theater and Lincoln Center. Just I mean, Christopher Plummer, people like that were working at, at Stratford, Ontario. So a lot of those actors would come down to our theater because we're right across the border from Canada mm-hmm. to get in ours on their American equity card, mm-hmm. on their union mm-hmm. cards. Yeah. And I remember when I used to go to Detroit, people would go over to Canada because it had stronger beer. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you could bring it back. They were allowed to have more nice. uh, more alcohol beer. content. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, we were always going to Windsor. Windsor, to that's right, yeah. 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 Um, and that time that you spent in London with Rada before you came back, do you know what, what year that was? I believe, Well, I was there for a minute. It was, ah. I think it was 68. And that, because, I mean, night. 1968 London is one of the real places to be well, on the planet. One of right? one of the actors uh, that I uh, worked with in America, uh, we had several. I mean, the fa- entire faculty was English. It was from Rada, right. but and they had just done Chimes at Midnight with Orson Welles and things like that. But one of the actor, one of, one of the student actors, uh, uh, my buddy Michael, uh, he had been he had transferred uh, to us from I think from Rada. In, in London, and Michael would, would telling me about, you know, stealing milk one day, and I think he got caught by Marianne Faithful, oh, wow. <laughs> which I love that story, yeah. stealing milk bottles because he was a starving actor in London. And Marianne Faithful busted him, opened the door, you know, in a bathrobe, yeah, it's <laughs> worth it. Cigar- totally cigarette worth it. and cleavage, you know. Totally so then, it. did you just start touring around doing plays? I well, I worked at the Meadowbrook. Right. Uh, I, I was brought into that company 
which was great. And I did a lot of shows there, but I also did regional theater, uh, repertory theater in, um, uh, the, the, the most difficult one was in, in Cleveland. And I did revolving repertory, Shakespeare, which, because you do, you know, you do Othello one night and then the next night you're doing oh, Taming of the Shrew and the next oh. night. But I also, in that uh, theater, I, I landed, uh, the role of Judas in Godspell. And that was sort of my first, you know, huge hit. Mm -hmm. uh, I had groupies and, uh, and fans that saw the show dozens of times. And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, to, to be in a play with a, a rock band playing underneath you all the time. Mm -hmm. Again, it's that great cheap thrill of feeling like a rock star. You yeah. Know? And I'm, I don't sing and I just dance a little, but, but it was great being part of that, you know, part of that experience. Wow. Yeah. And, I had times in when when I because I always wanted to be an actor when I was a kid, but there were there were certainly times where I thought, well, I'll give it another go for another year, and hopefully at some point it will start to, you know, work out for me. But was there a, was there a year where you thought, okay, this is me now, like I am a professional actor, this is what's happening, like come sink or swim, this is my job, or were you also thinking, well, I could also do this if it doesn't work out? Or? Well, one of the reasons I left home and never and didn't see my parents for years. I was supposed to be a lawyer back when I <clears throat> was a young man, you know, being an artist, a musician, an actor wasn't a big option, a poet. Mm. And now a lot of young people gravitate towards that. But then parents were quite strict. They wanted you to be an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. And I had been recruited by Stanford University uh, because I was well-rounded in school. Not that I was particularly a genius, but I was very well-rounded and I, I had skipped a grade, uh, and so they had recruited me, and that's a famous law school, and I'd, I'd said no, and, and it broke my father's heart. And so I had left home, but for me, the two big moments where I knew it was forever, you get your union card as a stage actor. Yeah. yeah. I got my union card as a film actor. But my very first movie, I had single card credit, and that, seeing the family name unchanged, single card credit, uh, made my father it just patched up everything between us you right. know and i was brought back into the fold so to speak what film was that yeah. a film called buster and billy 1973 mm -hmm. and i was fourth billing i think in that but i was unable to go to the rap party and uh the screening party after the screening in hollywood and it was at the, the now defunct but then the number one restaurant in Hollywood, which was Chasen's on Doheny. Right. And it was like, I mean, the booths are like Jimmy Stewart, Clark Gable, Gregory Peck. That's who's. And my father knew about this place. My father and mother had actually eaten there right, some, yeah. you know, before. So my father went to my opening screening party with uh, Jan Michael Vincent. Mm -hmm. And it kind of took my dad around and uh, the, the actress in the film, Pamela Sue Martin. And they kind of squired my father around, you know, and he had the famous chili, you know, and and everything there. And and he saw my the family name all by itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I had him in the palm of my hand. There's it. You're back in, <laughs> yeah, son. Back, yeah, back, back in, in the, the family. family. There you go. Yeah. I love it. And how about because we're, we're thinking about moments in your career that, you know, people obviously listening to this are thinking about. How did the the project come about? Because that's a moment for a lot of people when they're thinking about your career where they say, oh yeah, that, that really breakout show that Robert did. Well, I'd done a lot when I did, I, I, when I did the, in fact, almost exclusively film, but that's the project. And we've all done this, mm -hmm. the project where they learn your name. Yeah. They yeah. put your name 
finally, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to your face. They've seen you before and they like you, but you're that guy. And yeah. Did I go to school with you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that's where they finally put the name to my face. And that's a really important thing mm-hmm. uh, as an actor. It's also was an international success for really? me. And uh, that opened the doors for me to work abroad, which is something they never uh, teach you in drama school, you know, about yeah. about how when you can work globally. And that was pretty early for me. That would have been 82, mm. I think. Uh, but uh, it was a weird audition. I had no clue what to do. But but the great Kenneth Johnson, you know, Incredible Hulk and Bionic Man, Bionic Woman, Bionic Dog, you know. But but <laughs> Ken, Kenny Kenny is just a great guy. And I, I said, Kenny, I don't what I'm an alien. And I've been sent to the wrong city, and I'm I make malaprops. I I I I I misuse my vocabulary, you know. I'm translating from alien into Arabic into into English. I said I I don't have a clue, and he looked at me and he just said, "Well, you're going to have a, a little bit of a comedy relief aspect to your role." But he said two words. I said what? And he goes, "Gene Wilder." Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I just channeled Gene Wilder. Oh. Kind of tried to hide all the stuff I was borrowing from Gene. You know, a bit of a stutter. Things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and that innocence. Yeah. Which works great. That, that Gene Wilder innocence. Because you're, you're an alien's like a baby. Right. Yeah. Everything's new to you. Yeah. You know, and that was such a, a key to unlock the door. I didn't know what to do, yeah. you know. And that's that great advice we all get sometimes. Sure. That's you know? funny, isn't it? Because you, when you watch something like that, you just you just think that the actor is totally assured if they're good at their, their job. So you don't, you never think of the, that there might be, uh, you weren't sure what you were going to do. Like when, when I think of that character, you just think, wow, that guy nailed that straight away. It, it, because it was a standout character of the show kind mm. of thing. Well, I mean, I was, I was getting, I think, the most fan mail at one time. Mm. And I visited a friend on another show called Hotel on the Warner Brothers lot. Mm-hmm. And there's that, that, that thing, the uh, uh, little cubby holes that are behind a hotel desk on the, on the set where, you know, the keys are put. And if you get a, a, a telegram, they would put the telegram yeah. in there. Yeah. And uh, I, I went over to visit my friend. He goes, Robert, come here, look. And the cubby holes were full of letters to look like telegrams, and they were my fan mail. Mm-hmm. They never gave me my fan mail that came to the lot. The stuff that came to my home, mm-hmm. I got, or to my agent. But they were just using it as, as, <laughs> as props. But that's when I had an inkling, you know, right. maybe I better renegotiate. You know? <laughs> so I had an inkling that, that, uh, that the character hit. had kind of taken off. Yeah. You know? 
Um, it's my wife's favourite of uh, your work. She loves oh. that. She abs. But she was saying to me this morning. Honestly, she says, "But how? D- how is that the same guy that did Freddie and did that chalk and cheese?" Yeah, yeah. What, what does John Lovett say? Acting. Yeah, it's act- yeah. It's and actually, right? you guys know this, and we, we we don't always admit this, but extremes are easier to do. Sure. And we all know that's that middle work. Yeah. You know, right, it's closest yeah. to the soul. That's the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, where you really have to throw your tricks away, your bag of tricks away. Yeah. And uh and and just really kind of hone in on on inner truth and listening. Yeah, that's yeah. that hard stuff because you really feel naked, you know. Mm. You know, if I if you give me give me a cane and a mustache, I'm <laughs> yeah, happy. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by True Classic. Guys, let's talk about t-shirts. Finding that perfect fitting shirt can be terrible. You know, the thing's either it's too tight, gives you a bacon neck, or it's just plain, it's just big and boxy. Yeah, you look silly. Yeah. So luckily, True Classic wants to make every man look good and feel good. Tighter fit in the chest, sleeves made to make your arms pop, room in the torso and keep things cosy, I'm telling you. All these styles are super soft, great price for what you're getting. So guys, no excuses. Get rid of those horrible T-shirts, been hanging around for years, get an upgrade. And we've got an exclusive deal for our listeners. We want to hook you up with some true classic. For a limited time only, get 25% off with the code ONION at trueclassic.com. Almost all men's t-shirts are designed to look good on a certain body type. Think skinny models with six packs. But most of us aren't packing anything like that. We've just got a few beers, unlike Billy and I. (laughs) <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that, my dudes. It's simple. You are wearing the wrong clothes. True Classics tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. You can throw on that True Classic with confidence, knowing you've got your bases covered. True Classics will make your best by accentuating the places the eyes go first. Whether you have abs or flabs, their clothes look great on all body types. Skinny dudes, big dudes like Billy and I, buff dudes like me. My dudes, dudes, True Classics has you come. Get comfortable, get going, and upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic. Get 25% off at trueclassic.com with the code ONION. Free shipping, including on purchases over $100. 100% risk-free guarantee with a 30-day return policy. True Classic. When you look good, you feel good. Well, speaking of fan mail, you are just, just a little bit older than us, Robert. But do you... Remember the first time that you went to a convention and how it's changed over the years? Because even for me, in the 15, 20 years that I've been doing it, it's become a completely different beast. But you must have seen crazy changes. Well, actually, I think I probably started close to the same time you guys did. I didn't, oh, really? I didn't really get into it until after Freddy versus Jason. Oh. That's not to say that I hadn't done... <clears throat> Uh, some conventions before that, but mostly film festivals. Uh, yeah. That's what I enjoy doing, and, and Q&A is there. Yeah. Yeah. And you sign a little bit at film festivals yeah. as well. Um, but Freddy versus Jason was so huge, yeah. coming at the end of the accumulated franchise, mm-hmm. that it, it really made the conventions, you know, uh, a kind of bump for me. But I do remember going to Comic-Con very early, probably for V. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and because there was a comic book for V and Comic-Con was still comic books yeah, at that yeah, time. Yeah. So I do remember that that brief moment of time, you know, that that when that shift happened uh, and then all of a sudden one day you go to a con and there's Nicole 
Kidman, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's just changed. Yeah. It's changed. And, yeah. and for, for people, I think it is a bit of that Halloween thing. You get to dress up, you get to, yeah. you know, it's definitely changed from the comic book. But for, I have to ask, though, but uh, kind of for my wife, even though we, as you say, the, the extremes are sort of easier and stuff, but how, like, how close was Freddie to V? And, and time wise, I mean. And getting cast, and how the person that cast, how did they think? Oh, Willie from from V, that's who we want. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, it was very close. In fact, they overlapped. Uh-huh. Uh, the miniseries was 10 hours, and then the series of the and at the, between the hiatus between, I think. The second miniseries and the television series was one I did. I had this little island of time, a hiatus, and I was able to fit Nightmare on Elm Street in. But I was established in in Hollywood already. Yeah. Uh, I'd been working for 10 years and almost exclusively film. I'd already been typecast as a southerner. Yeah. And I'd been typecast as a sidekick and a best friend. Mm-hmm. For many years but what i knew growing up in hollywood and knowing a bit of the history of film is that sidekicks were not aging well right used to be that john wayne and jimmy stewart they had older friends mentors or older sidekicks like walter brennan uh, 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 the, the older character actors would play their buddies mm-hmm. and that was the sort of way the trope that was the way it was structured but for my generation the sidekicks were getting younger and younger and younger and I was starting to age out of those mm-hmm. you know the kind of best friend psychic which is an element of Hollywood that's necessary and sure. needed and it's a great thing if that's what you're typed as yeah. but I saw that as not as sort of having an end to it mm-hmm. you know a dead end to it and I started doing bad guys a little bit because I'd been typed as a southerner and a lot of a lot of a lot of villains and heavies were written southern so I did that a little bit and then I kind of was playing nerds for a little bit because uh, I've always worn glasses off and on and I guess you know the, the way I looked um but you know I the V was I told you about the V audition you know the, the Gene Wilder mm-hmm. uh, help and Nightmare the woman that cast me in Nightmare, Annette Benson, uh, she had auditioned me for every role in a National Lampoon project. 
Uh-huh. Literally. And I canceled myself out. I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys where they, they like you. The casting person likes you. The director likes you. Mm-hmm. But they don't know what which part to use you for. Mm-hmm. So you go up for two or three roles in the same project and you kind of cancel yourself out <laughs> right, right. with your magnificent versatility. No, but you know, that can happen. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, I, and it was a very great lesson to learn because I, I, I never did that again. I never, I, I used to say after three callbacks, no, they've seen all, they've seen That's, everything yeah, I can do. Yeah. Yeah. They either want me or they don't. I'm yeah, not going yeah. back again. And uh, so she felt bad about that, that I didn't, I wound up with nothing. Mm-hmm. in that film and i got, i wanted it so bad because i love national lampoon and mm-hmm. snl off broadway and belushi and bill murray and all of that and uh and i'd like some of i'd liked animal house and the other projects yeah. and this movie flopped but at that time i wanted it so desperately but i think she felt bad and she was really in my corner mm-hmm. with wes craven you know she may have been whispering in in his ear and i'll tell you something and this is really honest and this is with hindsight I have a narrow face Mm. and I have broad shoulders and you can put that crap on me. You can, you know, put that colostomy bag, medical (laughs) adhesive all over me and stick Mm. prosthetics on me. And my head shape and size is still in ratio with my torso. And if you've noticed, sometimes you'll see an effects makeup and the head looks too big. Yeah. 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 But with me, it didn't. They were terrified about the makeup, uh, the head of New Line Cinnamon, Wes Craven. And I think that they were, they were so worried that, that seeing that I had a thin face that I could take the application Mm. and it would work. I think that, that may have been helpful. It it may have been that simple. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Wes says I was the only guy that understood his pitch of the theme and what the movie was about. And I love that compliment from, mm. from Wes, but I don't know if he was just giving lip service or if he really meant that it could have been as simple as, as me having a thin face. I know they wanted a big stunt man originally. Mm. Uh, and they, but I, you know, I went in, I greased my hair back with uh, motor oil from under the hood of my roadster. <laughs> and uh, I put cigarette ash under my eyes. I love it. You know, with a little bit of saliva yeah. to sink my eyes. I love it. Because I was all blonde and brown. I was a surfer. Sure, you're all healthy. Blonde yeah. and brown. And so my hair is fine. So you could sort of see my skull mm. through my hair. And then I sunk my eyes. So I looked a little less tan and healthy. Mm. And uh, I played the old staring game. Remember as kids, don't blink. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. I did the don't blink with Wes. Mm-hmm. Kept my mouth shut. You know I love to talk, Billy. Uh, but <laughs> kept my mouth, big mouth shut and just stared back and listened to Wes. Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been the trick. Right. You know? Well, the makeup in all of those films is extraordinary. But, I mean, even if we're talking about the original now, the makeup in that original film is so good and still stands up to this day. Like it is truly terrifying makeup on Freddie. Well, you know, I, I used to love to take credit for wearing the makeup so many times, but then I met I met one of your lawn, one of your launsmen, uh, and I'm forgetting his name now. It begins with an S. The General Orc. Uh, maybe um, uh, Sala. Sala, Sala Baker. Sala Baker. Yeah. yeah. Sal and I. Milton Keynes. <laughs> yeah. At the little pub. In the little hotel we're all staying at in Apsley Guys. And we got drunk and he told me how long his makeup took as the general orc. And apparently if he had to be used by nine in the morning, he was in the makeup chair at like 2 a.m. Yeah. For that makeup. Yeah. So I've stopped bragging right now. I remember us rapping at one point and Sala was in the makeup chair and we were like, wait, wait, you doing? We're rapping. You're putting your makeup on now. He said, we're putting my makeup on now for tomorrow morning. 
So we were going to bed. He was going through the night. Yeah, and but yeah. The here's the thing, Robert. Myself and Dom here on yeah, my right, and the other two hobbits. We're in the Guinness Book of Records for spending the most time in a makeup chair on a project. Oh yeah, because that was forever. And that was Every the thing because you know Salah you might have, have been whole on other there. families. Over there, I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Salah might have been in there for fifteen hours, yeah. but we did three hours. Every day, every day, yeah. And that was how long For did years. the how long did Freddie take? Freddie's three and a half, a fat three oh, and a half. Significant. Uh, and then sometimes lenses, right. and 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 a lot of times teeth, if they're shooting me close. Yeah. If yeah. they're not shooting me close, no teeth. Uh, but I, again. Uh, my my Stephen King makeup for the Mangler took longer because there's hair involved. Yeah, and my my uh, Phantom of the Opera makeup took longer mm. because it was hair and it was makeup of me. Over half of my face disintegrated, <gasps> so it's ah. it was a mold of Robert England. Right. Over Robert England with half of Robert England done destroyed. You know, like the mask on Broadway. Of course. Yeah. So that was. Boy, that was four and a half, five hours. And how do you feel? Do, I take it for those ones, you had to have a, a head mold done. How do you feel about getting those done? You guys hate them as much as I do. Oh. I, it's the it's the it's one of the major times in my life where I just think you have to meditate. There's no way out of this. You just it's have the to breathing. Meditate. I think it's the breathing. Yeah. Really slow your breathing down. Yeah. But that moment where it gets really hot. Tight. Yeah. They tell you it's going to do that. It's yeah. hot and tight. Yeah. For There's people a temperature who, change. Mm-hmm. And you don't believe it, and then you feel it, and you kind of go, "Well, they did tell me this was going to happen." Yeah. But now it's tightening. Yeah. And yeah. you've got the straws in your nose. Can't breathe out your mouth. Yeah. That's for anyone uh. who doesn't know this. And you have is to making hold the look head. on your face. Yeah. Yeah, making a head uh, uh, cast, which means they they cover your whole face with I, I don't even know what it is, but I mean it's like well, it's like a silicon to start, mask, right? Yeah. And then first, plaster of Paris, but then yeah. it gets heavy, as Robert was saying, and hot because it's it's not just your makeup; it's the mold, right? Yeah, yeah. And it might be you know you're there for an hour, and you start to think there's only those two little holes mm. that I'm breathing out of, and you if you start thinking about that too much, and the last one I did, which wasn't very long ago, six months ago. It was a heavy one. And when they went to take it off, it was getting stuck. It was a whole head one. And I thought, the two holes from my nose have now moved. <laughs> I'm like, where am I breathing from now? <laughs> I was really starting to It panic. does get you. I, I think you could. You. I mean, I, I have actually, I think it's claustrophobia. Yeah. Which kicks in there. Yeah. Because you do, and you want to, and you have to just say, keep your hands yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You know, but there's that instinct just yeah, to just, rip yeah. at it. Yeah. 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 They said, the last one I did was in Borneo a couple of years ago, and great process, but before it began, the guy said, anything comes up and you need to get out, just put your hand up and we'll get you out immediately. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And there was probably two or three occasions where I thought, you have to fucking really? keep your yeah. hand down. Because the natural emotion, human instinct is like, I've got to get out of this. Yeah. I can't breathe. Breathe slow, it. breathe slow, count That's to it. four, inhale, exhale. But it's also, you hear that saw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it cuts you out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, where's Penn and Teller? You know? It's like, well, what's going on here? Yeah. yeah. That's not the most pleasant thing, is no, it? It's and, not. You, and, and it? And the sound that you hear, you know, in the mold yeah. and under the, under the, the, the frozen foam latex, 
you that sound it's it's muffled yeah it's so strange yeah and you're hearing people go <laughs> and then you start to think of freddy krueger yeah. well, he may be in here maybe somewhere <laughs> well, it's just, i mean we're, we're just such manly men that we can do that oh we can because there are stories about famous actors that yeah can't do that yeah or that freaked out oh, yeah well live on our film Lo- lovely beautiful amazing live tyler really really struggled with her yeah. face mask you're not allowed to say who struggles well just a, a all person this, a person did all the special effects people if they tell you who can't do it they always say but never say who yeah it was. well lived he told me so. <laughs> well, and i also think it was sort of public knowledge but on the on the sting frankenstein with jennifer beale I think the actor, and I can't remember his name, one of my favorite directors, though, Frank Rodham. Mm. Uh, mm. But apparently he just had horrible, horrible uh, allergic reactions right. to the uh, to the glues. Right. And ah, the, yeah. Uh, yeah, and they had to, like, reshoot everything, and it sent the budget. Know, yeah, yeah, that the was the moon. same with uh, John Reese davis on uh, Lord of the Rings. When he put on his prosthetics, he had to be off for two weeks. Mm. Because his eyes would all, oh, he just oh, couldn't do it. So his his um, stuntman had to be on set a lot, you know, with his back to camera and things. Robert, I'll tell you my Nightmare on Elm Street story, because it's 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 got quite a lot of trauma associated with it. There at my school, St Anne's in Manchester, with you know my social group and the year that I was in, there were certain films that you had to see to get a little stamp of approval that you could handle it. So The Exorcist was Here approval. Yeah. The Exorcist was big. Friday the 13th, Halloween. I'd seen Halloween, Friday the 13th. Had not seen The Exorcist because I was warned by people. It, it is genuinely scary. And at that point, the other one, the massive standout one, was Nightmare on Elm Street. So I thought, okay, if it's, if it's around about the same place as Friday the 13th and Halloween, I can handle it. Went over to my cousins. I think I was 13, way too young. Watched it. Get them when they're young. My God, Robert. <laughs> I was terrified. Terrified. And it was made even worse by the fact that in my local area, there was a kid called Ian who wanted to be called Freddy because he had a Freddy Krueger jumper, the red and black striped thing, made his own glove, wore the trousers, had the hat. So at nighttime, if I was going for my mum and dad to get bread or milk or eggs or something, he'd be on the side of the street like... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had, ni- I had nightmares about it. I had nightmares about Nightmare on Street. I remember the night that I'd watched it with my cousins and my brother. We went home that night. Never happened to me ever since. I was in bed and I was like whimpering awake. Yeah. <laughs> and my brother, we, were, we shared a bunk bed. We was like, it's okay, Dom. It's okay. He knew that I was scared. I wasn't even asleep at this point. I was just scared that it was dark. And then years later when I was in my kind of mid-20s, I had a nightmare that... Uh, my brother had his hand cut off by Freddy Krueger, and it was incredibly traumatizing. So you did an amazing well, job. Well, Dom, you you got even with with me with your uh, predilection for reptiles. Oh, it's, it's not a thing for you. You're not into snakes and lizards oh, now. No, okay. I had, yeah, that sort of. Uh, I I was a child and walked into a children's matinee mm-hmm. uh, in the summer. Uh, I think it was a cowboy movie with Anthony Quinn again. Anthony Quinn. <laughs> I must have been an Anthony Quinn fan. I, I think it was the man from Del Rio, you know, the gunfighter who's they're trying to dethrone him, you know, the yeah, old gunfighter. Yeah. And it wasn't playing. They had turned on the evening, ah. evening's fair. And it was Norman Mailer's The Naked and the Dead. And it's a war movie, so I'm okay. I think oh, World War II. I like sure. World War II movies. And I'm sitting there 
And at some point in the tropics, pursuing the Japanese, the American soldiers in the South Pacific, one of them is bit by a lime green translucent snake. Mm -hmm. And he foams at the mouth. And, and, he, and, and he foams out of the nose and out of the ears. Really? They touch, and, you know, and it's this horrible death. Yeah. And his buddy you know, hacks the snake in pieces and holds traumatized for the rest yeah. of the year. I looked under my bed and in my drawers for, for translucent green tropical snakes. It's crazy so what I, resonates. It, it affected me for years, yeah. It's bizarre what yeah. resonates. The moment that resonated for me, I think, more than anything else in that first movie, which I still believe is the most terrifying out of all the Nightmare on Elm Street's, is the moment where Freddy's chasing Tina down that alleyway. And she says, oh, God. And Freddy says, no, this, this is God. is God. And I was like, oh, that's Tina. Oh, well, that's, so that sequence with uh, the actress Amanda Wiss, who played Tina. She's fantastic. On the, uh, on the revolving, we had a revolving room. Mm. That's how they got her on the ceiling, because she was really, mm. you know, right side up then. And they just dressed everything and glued everything down and mm. nailed everything down. But that still holds up. That's a horrific, wonderful sequence, Terrifying. you know. Yeah. And that's just the old Fred Astaire revolving room, right. you know, uh, trick. Um, I think we borrowed it at that time when for Johnny Depp's. It's the same room as Johnny Depp had where all the blood rushes out of the bed. Yeah. And that's just gravity. It's just, it's obviously the bed is on the ceiling. That's in it. The blood's just dripping, you know, straight down. And so you have gravity's help to make it look like it's gushing. But we got that idea from the elevator bleeding in uh, The Shining. Shining, yeah. Because yeah. that's how Kubrick did that. Right. Yeah. Johnny Depp's first ever uh, professional gig, right? Do you do you have any recollection of, of him working with him? Well, I know you guys like music. I think Johnny was thought of himself then as a musician. Yeah, yeah. He was in a band in Miami. And uh, I think it was rockabilly. I'm not sure. Because mm -hmm. his style in real life then was very rockabilly. Yeah. He had the best like hair, Cliff, the best hair. Leather jacket. The yeah. best hair ever. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the, those great shirts, you know, yeah. those great, you know, uh, and just, I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, really good hair. But I remember Johnny saying, he said he, that it was March going on April and the Christmas tree was still up in his apartment. <laughs> Living that somewhere life. Somewhere in Miami. And he said he knew it was time to leave. Come out <laughs> west, you know. But he was just this polite kid, you know, right. yes, sir, no, sir, Mr. England. So I said, stop it. You're making me sound like I'm your teacher here mm -hmm. or something. But I just remember him being very, very polite, you know. Mm -hmm. And the, a story I heard was that Wes's daughter, Wes Craven's daughter, saw Johnny in the um, waiting room for his audition and before she even heard him read or act or anything she just walked in and said dad hire him or i'll never speak to you again wow. and i had a, my i brought my girlfriend uh, over because i was doing makeup tests and wardrobe tests and uh, i remember uh, and she was uh, at yale then uh, uh, uh yale drama school uh, and her class was just full of people we all know now mm -hmm. and she had a great eye for talent mm -hmm. uh and I remember her saying, just seeing him, and she said, he's going to be a star. Mm. Really? Yeah. She just glanced at yeah. it. Yeah, he's got that. He kind of jumps off the screen, doesn't he? Um, and my memory of that movie, it seemed to be like the movies that you you listed there, Dom, you know, Friday the 13th and all that. But yeah. Nightmares seemed to become bigger than all of them. Yeah. I think it's because it's about adolescence. It's about the loss of innocence. Right. We had a strong girl heroine yeah. the survivor girl the final girl yeah but the it, the idea 
that you could be haunted from a dream to death. Yeah. That's universal. Mm -hmm. So we were an international hit immediately out of the gate. Mm -hmm. it's, it, everybody has the same, you know, people in Antarctica, people in, in, in the Aleutian Islands and yeah. in Africa and everywhere. They have, we all have common dreams, sure. you know, the falling dream, the drowning dream, the mm -hmm. suffocating dream, the flying dream. Mm -hmm. We all have those dreams. It's part of the DNA of, of and humanity. Not, I, yeah. And the idea that somebody could get into the privacy of your mm. own subconscious and mm. turn that against yourself, mm. I think it's just a great gimmick. A great and those, yeah, and those young people saying, just don't sleep. That was the thing, wasn't it? Because yeah. once you saw it, and it was the first, uh, it was the first movie I, I I ever saw that was an eighteen, and I remember it like it was yesterday as well. And I remember being on the bus going home in Glasgow with friends, and just thinking, I will never sleep That's again. So scary. I, yeah, it was so, as you say. It, it, I think because it was adolescence, we were adolescent. Mm -hmm. that, you identify. Just remember yeah. those yeah. people, just don't sleep, Gets don't sleep. Your and you're like, okay, I won't, I won't. Yeah. Well, you're, so, also, you're so vulnerable when you sleep. It right? also became a great it. date movie because yeah. guys realized that women love that movie because they followed the girl's journey. Mm -hmm. The guys were watching Freddy and the special effects and, and the scares. But the women were identifying with her journey. Will she survive? Yeah. You know, and every in every episode of the franchise, there's a girl that defeats Freddy or survives Freddy. Mm -hmm. And and she's, you know, the, our, our final girl is not final. Mm -hmm. She's a survivor girl. And without going into a great, you know, academic feminist dialogue here, that was we, we did have strong women sure. in, mm -hmm. in each of our movies. And I think that that brought in a lot of the original uh, sort of horror fangirls mm. to the audience uh, mm. back then. Mm. So I, I think that it's something I'm kind of proud of. Uh, yeah. Not it, I didn't write it. I didn't create it. it. It's unintentional on my part. But it's still something that happened for sure as a part of the phenomenon of that franchise. And, and were you were you always a fan of the genre? Did you were you interested in horror growing up? Yeah, and you know this is something that I suppressed because I became that guy in the corduroy jacket in the turtleneck with the patches on his sleeves that was never going back to Hollywood, mm. never going to do television. I was only going to do the classics, you know. Mm. And uh, I was full of myself for a while, you know, in the avant-garde mm. and off-off-Broadway and, and uh, political theater. And uh, uh, I loved Grotowski and everything. I was obsessed with that. Peter Brook, uh, uh, Empty Space. But I had suppressed the fact that as a child, I would mow lawns and use my profits and my allowance. And me and my mates would go down on Saturday. We'd talk some mother into driving us to the local movie theater. And we would do the double matinee, the double bill matinee. Mm -hmm. And we loved the Hammer horror, mm -hmm. which was all imported for us. Mm -hmm. And then our own American horror. But I do remember, yeah, loving it. And I had a godfather uh, who was a big book distributor for uh, Simon & Schuster publishing company probably handled most of their stuff west of the mississippi and he had a big wonderful ranch house again literally walking distance from here and uh with a kidney shaped pool and one of the bedrooms was all of the coffee table books that simon and schuster distributed mm -hmm. and one of them was called the movies and it had a red cover on it but i remember looking through the horror section and there was a great two two-page spread of Karloff and the little girl at the lake. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And there was a great spread from Dracula's daughters. And if you looked really close, you could almost see the daughter's nipples, you know, Dracula's daughters in their sexy, transparent <laughs> gowns, you know. And that, that set off some kind of a buzzer mm-hmm. in my pre-adolescent brain. But then there was a two-page spread of one, one inch by one inch images of all of the makeups that Lon Chaney had wore. And I was obsessed with it. In fact, one of them was a placentia from an egg, and he put it over his eyeball, hard-boiled the egg to make his eye look milky and blind. So like the first contact lens, right? Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I'm wondering, was that summer that I was obsessed with that book, and I ditched my mom and dad and my godparents every time I went over there to swim in the pool and to look at that book. I'm wondering if that was the little voice in me mm-hmm. when I was on that Wes Craven interview so many years later, you know, that mm-hmm. I always wanted to mess with the, with the makeup, yeah. you know, that I, that I was fascinated with it. And I remember what you just said earlier in the interview, Billy, about in drama school, you have to learn makeup. Yeah. And, and, and as a professional actor, you do your own makeup yeah. on the stage. You guys know that. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill. And, you know, there's always some old guy in the cast that's better at it than you. Yeah. You know, and he has that great old makeup kit, you know, with an old tackle box or something. <laughs> yeah. Things you've never seen before that you wish you had in yours because you want to be cool like that. But I was fascinated with that part of being a stage actor. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it, it, it's a weird contrast to, you know, going to the parties with all the best girls, right. which Dominic and I liked. But also, and but also, like, your male, you didn't tell your male friends that you had a makeup kit, I'm you sure. know? That sure. was, would, would have been, so you had to keep those lives separate. Yeah. But I remember sitting with old English actors who had a ball, and they would wrap it in uh, tinfoil, and they would take the tinfoil off and hold it. And it looked kind of roughly like a globe of the world, you know, all these different colors. And that's all they would use. And they would sink their temples yeah, and, and, yeah. and change their labial fold, you know, and give themselves a cleft or five o'clock shadow or highlight their eyes with all the. And that's all they use. These yeah, guys cool. from London's West End that knew all these tricks. And as a, I was just fascinated yeah. with that kind of backstage lore yeah. and 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 art. And you brought uh, that skills. My, my uh, my makeup box was my favorite thing. Oh yeah! When it came to um, the technical rehearsal and the dress rehearsal, and I get my box out and I'd and your little s- towel. You'd start and working you'd have a little, on a little oh, towel, yeah, fresh cool. towel. I mean, I loved all that stuff. It was yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I had an old coffee cup with my brushes and my pencils in it. And- nice. But that's I've always loved that about you, Robert. There's a kind of there's a lust for life on all that stuff, and, and whether it's you know the history of English theatre, or or if it's um, or even food when we went to Argentina and we're having food and wine and going to museums. You've got a real lust for life that is. Uh, well, what is else is lovely. What else is there to do, Billy? Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I but I love it. I love it, and that's what I mean about kind of Hollywood and movies. It feels like you love that. You love the history. Well, I, of I, it. I think you know. I was so aligned with the theatre. Mm. And when I came back to Hollywood, and I'm from Southern California, and I know my way around, and I, I know where the best apartments are hidden up in the hills and things. So it was easier for me than a lot of actors here. But my then girlfriend, who would go on to write Lost Boys, uh, my great, title, great movie. her movie, 
but in fact, two of my roommates wrote that movie, James Jeremias and, and my girlfriend, Your Jan, title? Jan did Fisher. You, did you come up with that title? The title. Did well, you? because the original fake-out, the original fake-out of the original draft, when you're above the town, going through the clouds, the yeah. camera's mm-hmm. going through the clouds, the original fake-out is a Peter Pan myth. To fake you out when it's revealed that they're not that they're actually vampires, right. you see. And uh, uh, but when I moved into Hollywood, my then girlfriend, we had a thing up by the phone, and it was all the revival houses, like the like the New Beverly Cinema, and there was one in Venice, and there was one in Santa Monica, and every night there was a pristine print, double bill of film noir or two great classic horror movies by Val Luton, I Walked With a Zombie, or Double Indemnity, or some great John Ford Western, mm-hmm. a perfect print. And every night you could go for a dollar or a dollar twenty-five. You could go see some. So I sort of learned, relearned the history of Hollywood and of classic cinema because I sort of had to clean my brain and cleanse myself from all of my uh, affectation and attitude coming from the theater, you know. Right. And I wanted to love film and watch it. So that's sort of why that was those couple of years there, 71, 72, 73. That's sort of when I was doing a lot of that. And that sort of became my, my knowledge of the history of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Because they were, these people that I was with were going to see movies at the museum and going to see the, the film festival Filmex at the old Grauman's Chinese and stuff. And I was dragging me along and I was just introduced to this entire history mm-hmm. of Hollywood and the silver screen. I knew foreign films because mm-hmm. I was that, I was that guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was, the see, guy, yes, yeah. I was going to see Antonioni films and, right, right. and uh, things like that. But so I knew I was already kind of caught up on the foreign films, but uh, it, it just made me respect and love American, mm-hmm. American movie making. Well, speaking of American movie making, could could you just talk to us a little bit about Wes Craven? Because obviously, a, a luminary filmmaker who you know changed the genre of films, and you you worked with him for what was it twenty years off and on? Oh, I did a television series with Wes as well, a Nightmare Cafe. No, you know, I think the gift Wes had, he was able to keep the fourteen-year-old boy alive in him. Oh, that's lovely. You know, he used to do kind of adolescent puns a lot. And he's a brilliant guy, brilliant guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he was stunted a bit as a child. I think his parents were very conservative. And Wes was uh, only allowed to see Disney films. And right. even then, on a limited basis. Right. So he was playing catch-up a bit with what had occurred in the American culture during his childhood. Uh, the horror movies, art movies, rock and roll. Uh, things like that. He was sort of playing catch up with it. And he loved all of that. You know, he was interested in all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't just a horror director. That's sort of what b- befell him sure. because of his early success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I remember sitting in a new wave bar. Remember the new wave, you guys? Skinny mm-hmm. ties. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I was sitting in this new wave bar. I had a little crush on the bartender. I'd go in there and kill time before I'd call my agent at the end of the day after auditions and meetings. And she was a cutie pie. You know, she had real kind of Sinead O'Connor looking mm-hmm. uh, with a little leather jacket on, you know. And uh, at either end of the bar were these giant monitors 
uh, with TVs stuck in them. And on one end, they would play a continuous loop of scenes from Eraserhead, the David Lynch film. Uh, yeah, yeah. And on the other one, they would play continuous loops of The Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left wow. in black and white. Wow. They were, they were like black and white videos or something. <laughs> yeah, well, that's rough. Eraserhead is in that's, black and that's white. That's a rough bar. But yeah. I, So I associated Wes with David Lynch. As a dark, an artist uh, yeah. of the dark, sure. uh, dark arts, you know, yeah. uh, uh, with a dark viewpoint. Yeah. And, uh, and that's one reason I wanted to audition for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wes was just, I mean, every time I visited, he, he had Steve McQueen's old bachelor pad at the top of Nichols Canyon, oh, you know, yeah. overlooking the city all the way to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, every time I, I went over there, and it wasn't a lot, but there was always some great coffee table book. He was interested in something, you know, tattoos or or masks or something. And there was always some great new music he was listening to and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. He was just open to everything. I don't know if you've seen his um, evil voodoo movie, The Serpent and the Rainbow. Oh, no, I'm not seeing it. With Bill no. Pullman. Oh, wow. Bill Pullman, uh-huh. yeah. But that, it, you know, he's that's one of his terrific films. On Location, oh, Haiti. Wow, oh, there's a there's a story in and of itself. Yeah. But yeah, Wes is just really was a remarkable guy, and I miss him every day. And yeah. you know, none of us knew. We I thought he broke his leg, and you know, when you get older, yeah. it takes long to rehab sure. and heal. And I thought he was just walking a dog on the beach, yeah. on Cape Cod, you know, with his new beautiful wife, and 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 rehabbing, you know, yeah. and just sort of wanted to get better before he saw us all again. Yeah. And I knew he had some TV projects, and I was hoping to be invited on one or. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and 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 then he passed and i was in london with amanda wiss who played tina mm. in the original and we just it just took the wind out of our sails <laughs> you know we walked straight into a pub and yeah yeah we were there for hours we just we couldn't believe it mm. because no one knew that he had anything wrong with him we just thought it would you know all you know the worst it could be is a knee replacement yeah, or a yeah. hip replacement yeah. you know um and did he tell you where the origins of that original Nightmare on Elm Street story came from? Where, where did he think that up? I think Freddy Krueger was a bully. Oh, yeah, and and fr- and, 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 and that's a real name, I think. Wow. And or Freddy's a real name, or Krueger's the real name, or perhaps both of them. But he liked Krueger because it was Germanic, and it was that uh, uh, Grimm's fairy tale yeah. aspect, that dark fairy tale cautionary tale thing that he liked Mm. and and that's sort of the freddy element now there was an experience he had with his brother left alone in the home mom and dad were out i don't know went to church or something but wes and his brother were left alone and they were upstairs in a bedroom i think it had venetian blinds and they were going to bed and they closed the blinds and when wes looked out he saw this what we used to call A hobo. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the politically correct thing is now, for a, you know, the, a, a, a unhoused, mm-hmm. a bum, who had soot on his face, and a fedora. I don't know if he had a red and green striped sweater on. He may have just had an overcoat on or something. Mm-hmm. But he, Wes saw him and he looked up and caught Wes's eye. And I think Wes turned off the light. Yeah. And peeked at him through the Venetian blinds, and then got back in bed with his brother and told his brother about it. And apparently, a few minutes later, the brother got up to check, and the guy was still there. <gasps> now they crept downstairs, and they went, and they looked through the, the eye hole, the keyhole, the eye hole yep. in the door, and uh, the guy was now standing in the front walkway, 
looking at their front door. <laughs> now, nothing scary. else. Scary. <laughs> nothing else to happen, but those things happened. Yeah. That was and enough. that was a kind of a source story. Formative. Too, I think, yeah. Wow. Billy and Dom eat the world. Talking about formative stories, uh, as you know, Robert, me and Dom like to eat the world on our podcast, and you said that maybe you have a story from your childhood that involves some food. Well, I've been warned, and I, I narrowed it down to two, my pizza in Naples or my ice cream sandwich childhood trauma. So well, we I'm, can't do pizza in Naples. I'm going to do... I'm going to do the ice cream sandwich trauma. So I'm in kindergarten. Looking forward to this. In the valley. Oh, oh look, my Johnny. God. Johnny. Oh. oh, thank you. Look at this. In fact, hold on, Robert. I think I know a little bit of this story, so could you give me your plate for a second? Uh, what are you going to do? I think that I don't think at this point oh, the delicious we'll part of it. Save some for me. Oh, I don't, I don't know this story. Go on, okay, Robert. Okay, so. My elementary school in Encino, California, mm. where I lived down the street from Clark Gable, uh, was originally a, a dairy. It was called Rhoda Street, like Rhoda, the girl from Bad Seed. Mm -hmm. Right. Rhoda Street Elementary School, which Rhoda spelled backwards is Ador. And Ador was this very, very popular, very huge dairy in Southern California. And in fact, they were the people that delivered your milk and your eggs and your butter yep. at the door. The milkman. So they were doing a marketing research right. on children's taste buds at my elementary school yeah. and using my kindergarten class. And the night before I'd been given a permission slip, brought it in. You know, we're supposed to have your parents sign it. That yeah. could be part of this experiment, this this merchandising uh, uh, test. And I was afraid because I told that, that we were told by the teacher, you're going to get to eat an ice cream sandwich. Now, at the age of five, all I could think of was that terrible white bread that everybody ate back in the 1950s with a scoop of <laughs> vanilla ice cream on it. And that just sounded disgusting to me. Yeah. So it does. So you, I, you didn't I threw, give the, I threw the permission slip away. <laughs> I didn't tell my parents. I show up the next day and in my classroom are these wonderful uniform people dressed like milkmen. And everybody is handed. Oh, God, I. Still don't have one. <laughs> All these years later, I was handed this ice cream sandwich, which was this wonderful chocolate, mm. like graham cracker, oh, yeah. with this melty have. vanilla, oh, French vanilla yes. bean ice cream in between it. And all of my classmates are eating it, and it's melting, and they're licking their lips, and they've been given these little personalized napkins, and they're devouring it, and I'm stuck with my mother's lunch that she prepared for me and all that's left after my peanut butter and jelly sandwich are my carrot sticks and my celery. Well, that's what we've got now. That's, that's absolutely... That's what I'm left with now. <laughs> Robert, all these I, years I, can't, later. I can't not give you oh, an ice cream oh, sandwich. Come on. You. But in honor so of that, that story, then, we've got raw carrots, raw celery, and an finally, ice cream sandwich. And an ice cream So this was them trying to work out if kids were going to like it. If kids were going to like it. And then, after that, they got another cooler in. They walked this other cooler in with a frost coming off of it. And they opened it up, and then they gave us, not me, but everybody else, every other, every other classmate of mine, the Spumoni, wow. 
What's a spumoni? The spumoni Neapolitan ice cream sandwich modeled after the Italian ice cream spumoni, and it was strawberry, <sighs> French vanilla, and oh. chocolate. My God. Oh, yes. Together in the oh, ice cream sandwich. What do we call sandwich. that? We got, what's that in, in Britain? An, a neo, neo, Neapolitan. Neapolitan, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, the, I think the ice cream, when it's mixed like that, is called spumoni. Mm. Spumoni. Do you know what? I've, I've never had an ice cream sandwich, oh, Robert. Lovely. I have never in all my years. When I, was, when I was growing up, I grew up in the schemes in Glasgow. They had this idea. There was too many people staying in the, in the, 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 the town of Glasgow. So they made these schemes in the outskirts, the council, and, and said to people, go and live out there. But they didn't build any stores or... Well, that happened in California, too, they, yeah. They did the same thing. Urban sprawl, suburban yeah. sprawl. So get out there, but then all these people were stuck with no stores, nothing mm. to do. All the kids would become Terrible. hooligans because there was nothing for them to do. And an ice cream van would come round. Savoris. And, and you could get ice cream. And the woman's name was Kelly. Is that like the great Bill Forsyth film? Exactly. Oh, yeah. With the ice cream and the ice cream mafia. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Comfort and Joy. Comfort, Comfort and Joy. God, what a yeah. great film. With the wonderful, and that wonderful Claire actor. Brogan. That wonderful actor. Oh, um, th- uh, uh, Ken. Oh, yeah. So good. And well, Claire Scottish Grogan. Actor. Claire Grogan from oh, uh, Gregory's Girls in it. Gregory's Girl, that's right. Oh. But I loved it. That, the ice Cream Mafia. Ice Cream Mafia, brother. God. I, that I, was a real thing. I finished my ice cream sandwich. It's all that gone. was a real thing, Robert. They're good, aren't they? They're fantastic. I absolutely love it. And I, I was deprived. Mm. The only kid wow. in kindergarten. Yeah, you made because, a bad decision there. Well, but I mean, what a what a life lesson, mm. you know. Get yeah. things signed. Get yeah. your paperwork done. Get your paperwork done, but also <laughs> also how we imagine stuff, and it's nothing like we imagine mm. it. And think of all of the great vegetables and fruits and things when we were children that we didn't want to have because yeah. we didn't like the way they looked. Yeah. Or, you know, like like years ago when people used to mock, make fun of anybody that had sushi mm-hmm. and or, or, or things like that. And now, you know, now we, I mean, we love great Indian food and we love yeah. Japanese yeah. food and we can't get enough of Thai food and things like that. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, we, we were all finicky. You know, yep. and afraid. Yep. Like I was, like little Robbie England. Mm-hmm. No you know? one eat white bread and ice cream. On the Friendship Onion, we like to score the food. We give it scores out of 10, is it? 10, yeah, Bill. Out of 10. Oh, thank you, Dom. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> that story was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's out of 10, and we have to um, we score it first off on taste or flavour. Then we score it on aesthetics, how it looks. And then we score it on... How useful is it? Yeah, I know, Robert. That's <laughs> Billy's category. He came up with that one. Useful food. Useful it, like, By William Boyd. Mm-hmm. If it's in your house yeah. and people come round yep. and, you know, you're looking and maybe you've got flour, you've got eggs, you've got some orange juice, you've got the, is there anything you can make and you do? Mm. How useful. But anyway. Let's come back to that. Flavour. But wait, are we, just to j- jump in for a second, yeah. are we just... Scoring the ice cream sandwich, or are we scoring the carrots and celery? Just the ice cream sandwich. Okay, copy that. Because I'm enjoying the carrots and celery. Robert, flavour out of ten. And you can do a decimal who's, point who's if you like. Who's going first? Do you want to go first? Shall I, as an example? Yeah, go on, as an example. I liked it. I would like a little bit more punch to my to my ice cream. Maybe an actual bit of Madagascan vanilla bean in there. 
But I'm going to give it a solid 6.9. I like it. Back in Scotland, we have something like it called a nugget. Ooh. Which is a wafer on one side, and then it's like a cream-filled thing there, which I think is more interesting than just the chocolate there. But I liked it a lot. I'm going to give it a 8.5. Oh, you did like it. I did. You did like it. Well, I am conflicted because I have the Marcel Proust memory. Of course you do. The bite-the-biscuit memory of Mm -hmm. food before it was processed heavily because as a child growing up here every corner was a fresh produce stand Mm. run by Mm. a latino family who had literally a field Mm. of those vegetables and the bad boys in in high school that i went to school with with a cigarette behind the ear would eat a real basket not a plastic basket but a real little basket full of cherry tomatoes and flip them and catch them in their mouth like a peanut mm. after they salted it with a little camper's salt shaker. So I remember when food, to, and, and my memory of ice cream then mm. and of ice cream sandwiches was they were pure. The ice cream was better uh. than this. And that the chocolate on it was more like a graham cracker, mm. a chocolate graham cracker. But this did fulfill me and this did taste good and it's, you know, for the audience right now, we're in the middle of a heat wave here. We are. And on a hot day, oh. uh, this ice cream. So I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. It, yes. quite, it's not solid. solid. I, I, I would I, agree I, with you yeah. on the wafer side. It's, yeah, there's something kind of fake about that flavor. It's, it, the, yeah, the, the wafers yeah. are much more uh, processed and synthetic than they yeah. used to be. Mm. How does it look, the aesthetics of it, Dom? Well, when it was in the little cellophane wrapper before it started to mm. get squished and, you know, the little square shape the platform quite like that brown and white the compliment i'm going to give it an 8.5 well that's quite high as well Tom. yeah yeah Yeah, now that robert said that there is something slightly fake about i'd like the white not to be as white i want it to be more vanilla a little vanilla bean well yes you want the neapolitan yeah Yeah. oh yeah the spumoni so i'm going to say it is a good look but it's not amazing so i can only give that a seven well, I think the packaging is a, is a little too reminiscent. <laughs> I know this is this is one of Billy's pet peeves, but it's a little reminiscent of airplane food. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that's why I'm going to give it. Uh, I'll give it a six and a half, yeah, six point five yeah, on the packaging. I'll give you it that. Really, and it also the way it's packaged, you can't really tell how long it's been around. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. you know the uh, do, the the eat before date or the eat by date. And how uh, would how would you open that without crushing it? Because the whole yeah, plastic yeah. now, yeah, okay. Usefulness. How useful is an ice cream sandwich? Is it portable? How long does it stay? Not melty. Not long. Well, not long. So I mean, you, once it's out the freezer, you've got to be fast, haven't you? You could put it into a. a, a <laughs> you could put it into a, a food processor mm. with some fruit. Make a smoothie of some sort out of it. I'd make a nice because chocolate, vanilla, couple of strawberries in there, a banana. I've had an ice cream sandwich birthday cake. I have had one. And how was that? It was good. It was a long time ago, but I remember someone said, as a kid, their favorite thing was an ice cream sandwich. So they got an ice cream sandwich birthday cake, and it was good. 
apart I'm, from that, you're not really. Stuff. I mean, it's you not know, very versatile, is it? Tom, I'm going to say it's not that useful, really. I can only give it a four because it's not. Uh, you couldn't make a soup from it. No, you couldn't. It's a three from me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. It's 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 kind of a useless food. As what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like you said, it's, it's immediate. You have to take it out and eat it. I'm just trying to think if there's. I'm I'm just trying to think. I wonder what it would be like in a dish with hot chocolate syrup. Or no. If that would kick it with some nuts, it, maybe some ground yeah, nuts. Maybe, maybe some nuts to break it up a bit. That might be an interesting uh, alteration of it. Mm. But no, it's pretty useless. I'll give it a five. Yeah, yeah five okay. is being nice. Well, it was, yeah. a, it was a good story, though. It, it was. was a, it was a sad story. It's supposed to be. It's because it's also a cautionary tale. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you, you shouldn't. Don't judge food by your imagination or, or like like a book by its cover. Yeah. You know? See, this is the thing. This is getting back to this lust for life that you've got, Robert, that I enjoy. I always, I love it when you happen to be so. And another thing you do, with, which is great, and a lot of actors don't do this, is you will be very kind to people. You, you'll watch TV shows or films and you will rave about people's performances. You'll rave about a new TV show or a new movie that you've saw. You'll drop a note saying, you have to watch this. You have to watch this person in this. Oh, you've been reading my tweets. And I, oh, I, yeah. Not even just talking to you. Every ah. time I meet you, there'll be a new TV show that you've watched and you love some actor well, well, because in Twitter is so unkind. Mm, it is, I decided, And I'm listen, I'm a cynic, but I decided to have a snark-free oh, tweet. And I also... I love actors. Mm. I love them. Uh, and I'm a fanboy. Mm. And so I try to remind my fans of things they shouldn't miss. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things I love about doing film festivals and conventions is I get to meet you guys mm-hmm. you know, and tell you I'm, I'm a fan of yours. Mm. And other actors that I meet or I've just, you know, I recently I, I got to tell Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. What a fan I am of his, and I understand he has a new film coming out that's just extraordinary. The Whale. The Whale, but mm-hmm. also uh, I'd seen I, I, his The Ugly American mm-hmm. with Michael Caine. He's brilliant in that. Yeah. And, and and several other things, too. The James Whale. Not The Whale, but the James Whale. Sure, sure. Uh, a Frankenstein thing he did. But, but uh, recently I, I did Stranger Things, and there's a boy on that, and you may know him, Joseph Quinn. Right. Uh, yeah. But I watched him on a Friday in London, and there was maybe three or four T-shirts of the Hellfire Club from mm-hmm. uh, Stranger Things at the con. And on Saturday, there was a uh, hundred Hellfire T-shirts and maybe twenty T-shirts with his image on them. And on Sunday, there was probably a hundred and fifty Hellfire T-shirts and about a hundred T-shirts, different T-shirts with different images of Joseph on them yeah. as his character Eddie Munson. And I watched him become, yeah. for him, I think, the first time of being a, a, a star. Mm. But I and you guys understand how difficult his job was on that show because mm-hmm. that shows that it's fourth season. He got dropped into it. All the kids, everybody knows everybody. They've mm-hmm. all been doing it for years now. Yeah. He's dropped into it. He has a certain responsibility of being comedy relief. He's also a reluctant hero of sorts. He also, uh, and, and when I saw it, there was something I kept going, who does he remind me of? Who does he remind me? And then I realized because that show is a pay-in to the 80s, mm-hmm. and I realized he looks like Eddie Van Halen. 
Mm. All right. You know, and uh, it was such a great choice. And uh, I I wanted him to know and I was able to share with him just that actor's thing of, boy, I know how difficult I knew the degree of difficulty that he had to go through on that show. And I love doing that for other actors, because when I love it, when a fan or when an actor comes up and reminds me of some movie I did in 1975 Mm -hmm. and some little shtick or piece of business I did or some line delivery that I did 45 or 50 years ago. Mm. And they still remember that. Mm. And they remember like a great pool shot I did in a master, Mm. or they remember some fight scene I had that really got, and I I love getting that specific little moment, that little, and I know you guys love it when somebody just talks about some little quiet moment you had in something that, you know, you don't, you just realize that 10 years later, and 5,000 miles away, you re- that your yeah. performance registered. Yeah, it still resonates. Yeah. And speaking of that loss for life, Robert, you're heading to one of the more exciting film festivals on the planet, to Sitges. On Tuesday, you're going to Spain. I'm, I'm on a plane on Tuesday, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that, because you're not just attending the festival this time. It's well, more I'm, of a special I'm getting thing. an award, and I love it, because their award is so cool. It's the robot from Metropolis. Oh, I love and, it. And it, and it was cool. also the, uh, uh, the uh, time machine. From the H.G. Wells, my the favorite movie, Wicked. Rod Taylor. Oh, Yvette Mimio. Oh, the Eloy. Very oh. cool. Love that film. But uh, uh, I, I'm. I also have a documentary. I think it's called Hollywood Dreams and Nightmares, and it's just sort of like I'm hoping I haven't seen it, and it, I, I'm going to have to see it before they screen it there because I can't watch it with an audience. It'll be like going to your own funeral, yeah, like it's Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, you know, <laughs> uh, when they show up at their funeral. But yeah. uh, and then I'm I think there's going to be a sizzle read reel for a new movie I have coming out called Natty Knox. Natty, uh, a little little a little down and dirty horror movie, yeah. Yes, with. Uh, uh, Danielle Harris. And you have a TV show on just now as well, Well, right? I think it's going to be all of October. I think it begins in earlier in October, but I think there's six hours, maybe more. And it's great. You guys are going to like it. The Compendium of Horror, and I narrate it, and it's on Epic's channel, and it's the history of horror in, in movies. Oh, fantastic. And they got way down deep in the rabbit hole of the Universal Archives. Mm-hmm. Just some extraordinary images you've never seen before. Behind the scenes stuff in the classic days of Universal, as well as lots of other stuff. And I knew I was happy to do this project when they included one of my uh, early science fiction movies that I watched as a little boy after school. It was called Them, about the giant ants. And it has this terrific, a terrific uh, sound effect that the ants make that you mm. couldn't even you couldn't improve upon today great poster great movie poster. i remember Them. that poster yeah, yeah. The, the, the james whitmore brilliant uh, james whitmore well it's so great to see you still being so busy uh, and still moving around and well feeling. you guys too we always see each other in airports and, we do uh, and lobbies and, and lobby bars yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And hopefully at some point soon at a convention because we're doing hopefully maybe one or two more before the end yeah, of this year. Yeah, or we'll a see. film festival or somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. And then next year I'll see you guys on the road again. Yeah. yeah. All right. I owe you guys a drink. Yeah. yeah. For yeah, inviting good. me here, all right? Wow. Well, and we uh, so how, happy about a, how about some uh, carrot sticks? And, uh... Yeah, we'll bring <laughs> some for you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rob. Oh, thanks for having me. What guys. a wonderful chat. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, great. Dom. Where yeah. do people uh, send, uh, if they wanted to send a voicemail yeah, to the Yeah, maybe if you want to get in touch with us or something like that. Where would that be? You could do that at uh, the Friendship Onion 
Oh, Billy will get it right. Speakpipe.com yeah. forward slash The Friendship Onion. You can get merchandise, which is like T-shirts and things. We'll yeah. give you one for free. Don't Goodies you worry about stuff. that, Robert. At TheFriendshipOnionPodcast.com. We'll see you next week on The Friendship Onion. They've, got, they've got cool swag, you guys. It's right? true. me and hold me tight all through the night you're shining bright i'm your oyster baby you're my pearl pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.